welcome to this episode of Your Window Seat, where we at Travel Incorporated discuss the topics that you care about most in this ever-changing business travel industry. I'm Tracy Carrillo, your host for today's topic, Neutral to Net Zero, understanding what sustainability means to your travel program. Of all the buzzwords and latest topics that enter the corporate travel narrative, sustainability should not be one that is a passing fad. In fact, how we all approach carbon emissions within our travel programs will dictate the future of not only business travel, but the future of our environment and quite honestly, our planet. We recently had the pleasure of moderating a fireside chat hosted by the Georgia chapter of the Global Business Travel Association. Today, we bring you an extended podcast featuring our special guest, Helen Hodgkinson, industry expert and consultant with Festive Road, as well as the co-founder of Cactus, a climate action group for corporate travel. So Helen, let's get started and, and tell us a little bit about what was behind you and your co-founder's drive to start Cactus and what does it mean? Thank you, Tracy, and thank you for having me here today. So um, Cactus, as you say, um, is a climate action group for corporate travel, and we formed it back in 2019 along with some industry colleagues because at the time, um, corporate travel was on a completely unstoppable upward trajectory, uh, and we felt that there was limited content on conference agendas around addressing the real urgency around what we need to achieve between now and 2050, this you know, headline um, date when we need to get to net zero. And it was a really difficult conversation to have because it was quite uncomfortable to suggest to our travel industry that in order to be more sustainable, maybe we'd have to do less. So that was already an uncomfortable conversation. Um, and we decided to form Cactus, which is completely voluntary. It doesn't have any commercial drivers. Um, it's open to anybody within the corporate travel industry um, and very much aims to sort of um, base the dialogue, you know, in, in the science, in the data. Um, and one of the reasons we decided that it was best just to be sort of a voluntary non-backed group is to have some of those uncomfortable conversations. So obviously the name, you know, um, Cactus uh, also represents a rather prickly um, subject as well. And that's very much, you know, what we felt we needed to do, have those uncomfortable conversations. And of course, we set it up in 2019. Travel was, at, you know, we were at the height of travel and then we were all hit with the COVID pandemic. So now we find ourselves in the completely opposite position where, um, there's a complete cessation of travel. And interestingly, that conversation, um, it's great to see that sustainability is right at the top of the corporate agenda now, but it's still quite an uncomfortable conversation to have because, you know, we want our industry to survive and people will need to travel, but we need to be really careful about the conversation we have and what travel, you know, we start to put back into um, our programmes. I was just thinking that one of the elements on your website, there is no planet B. Um, and I love that, you know, a little play on uh, plan A and plan B, but there is no planet B. So that that prickly component to cactus. Let's talk about what your personal challenges are from the corporate travel environment or in the paradigm of the corporate travel environment. Yeah, so I think um, some of the concerns um, we had was, you know, we wanted to take a this sort of macro view of what was going on. So it's it's quite natural, you know, in any industry you find yourself in, whether we're talking about corporate travel today or the more specific industry that you're doing, you know, you're managing um, 
travel on behalf of, you know, um, we all have, um, you know, a role to play in sustainability, but we really wanted to take that macro view and help people understand some of the science that sits behind uh, what we're trying to achieve and then start to drop down into where travel fits in. So um, rather than either starting right at the bottom or right at the top, um, it's it's useful to understand, you know, the carbon emission reductions that we've got to achieve and then where corporate travel fits into that process. So, for example, not for example, but um, you, you, you may be aware of the different scopes of um, emissions reporting that exist, which is scope one, two and three. Um, and it's under scope three category reporting that corporate travel fits. So it's helping people to understand um, that that is an area of influence that they they really could have control over and help them understand that that can help that that will assist with the overall goals from a corporate objective perspective but also in terms of what we're trying to achieve globally awesome and I, that scope three is something we're going to dive into a little bit in a few minutes and i kind of want to lay a bit of a groundwork greenhouse gases right uh, so what is all of this right so greenhouse gases you know traps you know the heat and makes the planet warmer, right? Pretty simple. But I think the point here that we really are focusing on is that it's the actions of us as individuals and as a global society that's making that impact so dramatic. That the increase, I think I read that was 29% was out of transportation, 25% of the increase in, in greenhouse gases were electricity. And transportation, of course, is beyond just airline. It's automotive, it's cruise, it's rail. But let's stay with that individual component. You know, why is what I do matter individually and what is that impact? And what are your concerns about that we need to get our heads in the right place as individuals so that we can then impact change more broadly? Yeah, okay. So first of all, you're right, you know, um, greenhouse gas greenhouse gases uh, do on the planet and we need a certain amount of greenhouse gases in order for us to survive and to sort of exist at the the optimal temperature really that we have been existing to um, at until now. But the problem is now that we've got this surplus of uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and it was actually um, a, uh, an American scientist, Charles Keeling, who first started measuring CO2 back in the 1960s and actually attributed that, you know, the activities of humans through industries, transportation, that, set, that, that first really brought it to everybody's attention that this was having a negative effect on um, the climate and global warming. And since that started to be measured in the 60s, we've just seen this continual upward, upward trajectory of CO2 within the atmosphere. So today it sits at around 413 parts per million. And this is known as the Keeling curve. So um, when, you, when you look at that graph, it's just on this upward trend. So um, yes, we, we, we do need a certain amount of greenhouse gases, but we're completely out of kilter now. Um, and you're absolutely right, um, you know, um, transportation, um, and energy account for significant amount of those emissions and aviation or in our travel sector account for um, around 2% and a lot of people will say well actually you know it's not that big is it you know in terms of some of the other areas that we could affect uh, that we could affect change in but the reality is it is a very carbon intensive um, industry and therefore we need to be looking at what we can be doing um, in order to um, minimize our impact again it comes back to what's within our control i think every different sector that you look at um, whether that's manufacturing automotive um, agriculture every lid you lift 
um, uh, the, the more you get into this conversation, the more you realize, gosh, there's a lot of activity to be done in every different sector. Um, mm. But yeah, we need to uh, make sure that we are um, significantly um, reducing our emissions in order to get to this net zero position um, in 2050. And, and to put that into perspective, um, there's uh, you, you know, a lot of research that has been released and particularly the um, IPCC, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change papers, you know, that they are stating that we really need to halve global emissions by 2030, halve them again by 2040, in order to get to this net zero position by 2050. So we do have a lot of work to do in order to change our activities. So let's talk a little bit about what the industry is doing, right? So we've, we've all heard a great deal about the airlines and alternatives to fossil fuels and these sustainable aviation fuels, are, um, which are like SAFs, I think is the term for them now, yet yep. another acronym for the wonderful world of uh, corporate travel. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, this sounds great, right? We have these sustainable um, aviation fuels that are coming in. What does that mean? What, you know, why are the airlines investing so heavily into this? And, and what does that mean to us in the industry? Yeah, so um, sustainable aviation fuel is a, is a really important part of um, our efforts to decarbonize, to decarbonize the aviation sector. Um, and, you know, we... we you know, we all have to champion every positive effort that's being made. I think some of the concerns um, around SAF is the um, scalability of, of SAF. So um, currently, um, I believe that SAF accounts for about 0.1% of um, aviation jet fuel. Um, and there are, um, while there is a lot of interest that's come, you know, behind SAF and a lot more in, in interest, I'm uh, sorry, investment in SAF and therefore generating more and more demand, but we still need to be careful about um, where that sits within the overall conversation and how, what percentage of jet fuel that is going to be possible to be re replaced by um, SAF. And I think quite often when uh, I talk about this, I think, well, you know, in order to create more SAF, um, you know, it might impact other areas in terms of um, land availability, deforestation. But actually, whilst I've been, the more and more I've been investigating this, um, and it was on a website uh, with Sky Energy the other day, where they actually stated that, and I'll just read this out here, but in order for um, sustainable feedstock, you know, to be credible, it has to meet three requirements. And one is um, first, higher value applications such as living food production and high conservation areas should not be displaced and the second is the side effects of staff must also be far less negative than the usage of fossil fuel and third is finally food security environment and biodiversity cannot be sacrificed and preferably should even be enhanced so I want to keep that balanced view around staff but I certainly from a catcher's perspective we want to make sure that it's always in perspective because we don't want to be sort of lulled into this false sense of security. Actually, we can continue what we've been doing because SAF's going to, to solve that problem when actually one of the key drivers is some behavioral change in there. We do need to change how we're traveling and how much we're traveling. Yeah, so I mean, it's really interesting because I've been reading a lot about how the airlines are supplementing fossils. They're kind of combining some of the SAF fuel with the regular fuel. And when I think about that, I can understand that you can maybe have a percentage with it. But if we're really, everybody's just talking about SAF, you know, that is one element, right, of many. Because it's kind of like, you know, putting diesel fuel in an ethanol car or engine, right, and expect it to run. I mean, it's not going to. The engines weren't built for that. 
So if you have all of these sustainable fuels, whether they're organic matter, crop matter, whatever the components, synthetics that they're building out for this, there's still challenges that the airlines have to do as far as the actual airlines themselves and, and the engines, and they're not gonna just switch them out overnight. And there's also probably that scalability that you mentioned that just because they may have identified a potential staff, it doesn't mean that it's the answer to everything and we're good to go. So I, I think it's what I'm hearing is that it's really, really important that we're investigating and we're investing, but it's not, and it, it's, we can't make it a box check. You know, we have to say what else needs to be done. You know, so when I think about that and other elements that go into the, to the airlines and aircrafts, you know, we know that there's other elements that the airlines are doing as far as polymers and reducing the weight and so that they use less fuels and all of that. But when we start to monitor this, and let's, let's kind of talk about how the people on this call can relate to that. So I know at TI, we have scope three carbon offset emission you know, data for them. Can you talk a little bit, like you mentioned earlier about the scope one, two, and three, what is the scope three and how are our listeners today going to be accessing that data? And what does that mean from the carbon dioxide emissions and offsets? Yeah, okay. So scope three um, is all um, indirect emissions from a value a business's value chain, and, and that's where business travel fits in. So that's and that and, and that will be all of the elements of your business travel program. Um, so it's really important to, to do whatever you can to access accurate data around your travel program and then importantly convert it. Um, to your carbon emissions, but using an, a, an accurate conversion, an accurate data standard. Now, there's a lot of conversations around um, kind of generic standards that are being used. And actually, if you haven't got the most up-to-date information on things like um, aircraft type, you know, year of make, um, yield factors, uh, weight per passenger, all of these different things, then actually you can end up calculating potentially a much higher carbon emission output than, than, you, than you're actually um, contributing. Mm. So it's really important to try and get that accurate data and say then um, you know you choose the right framework or the provider because there are different providers within the industry, there are different um, proprietary um, algorithms that exist in terms of trying to get to the most accurate outputs possible. But the really key thing is start measuring. So I have tended to say in the past, um, you know, if, you know, if you can't measure it, you know, you can't manage it. Um, so it's better to measure something than nothing. But I know that there are a lot of concerns from people saying, well, actually, if I end up with an inaccurate me measurement, then that might incorrectly reflect, you know, what's happening within my program. Um, but that key starting point is measurement. Mm. Um, across all sectors, um, you know, all aspects of your corporate travel program. And then when you, you, you mentioned offsets there, um, I just wanted to sort of bring the carbon management hierarchy into the conversation, really, because I think that's a really useful tool to help people understand how they can make changes to their program. And offsetting very much used to be kind of at the forefront of all of the conversations, uh, still does feature highly, has its place um, in a program, but it needs to come in last position of this carbon management hierarchy, which is um, avoid, reduce, replace, and then offset, which is remove effectively. So removing those um, emissions from the atmosphere. So it's all about avoiding putting the carbon emissions into the atmosphere in the first instance, mm. 
Uh, now, um, you know, it's uncomfortable to say, but the, the most uh, efficient way of doing that is not traveling. You know, we know we can't all not, not travel again, but actually, you know, avoid putting those um, emissions into the atmosphere in the first place and conducting meetings uh, like this, internal and external um, via Zoom and technology. So that's the first piece. Then it's reducing your emissions. So do whatever you're already doing more efficiently. Um, replacing is what we've just touched on. So replacing jet fuel with um, sustainable aviation fuel or combustion engines with electric fleet. So this is where you're replacing a high um, in a, um, intensive carbon energy with low um, carbon output. And then the last piece is this remove, so offset. And that should be for your residual emissions. So that should only really take place once all of those other um, activities within the carbon management hierarchy plan have taken place. And they really are the big impactful transformative actions that can make a big difference. And I, I think we do have things upside down um, to your funnel, you know, because yeah. we talk about we talk about 2030 being a, a neutral. You know, that's where we want to be neutral, right? Well, that's eight yep. years from now. And we think about all of these things that the airlines are doing. And we know that the industry works a little slowly sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. And we think, wow, eight years is going to be here so fast for us to be considered neutral. And that's really the offsetting. Are we investing in other things? Are we supplementing fuel or what are, you know, these are the kind of the short-term fixes that's really the bottom as opposed to the top of, or the top as opposed to the bottom of that, of that funnel. So when we think about neutral is primarily offsetting and you know, kind of uh, using other means to reduce the impact, what do you think the reality is of actually getting to a net zero? And explain what a net zero is to everybody here so that we have yeah. the same baseline on, on you know, glossary terms, if you will. Sure, yeah. Okay. Um, so first of all, before I give the definitions of carbon neutral and net zero, um, you know, when, when you say what the chances of getting to net zero by 2050, uh, you know, we can't afford to fail. You know, we're already, you know, um, falling behind the latest report um, from the IPCC, uh, which came out in um, August, said that we emissions need to peak by the middle of this century in order for us to stand a chance of being able to, to meet, you know, future targets. So um, that's, I guess, you know, that's sort of like where we're the catch's emotion, if you like, in a way, is you know we 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 can't miss these gateways. We have to make sure that we, we hit them. That being said, I appreciate you know these timelines look you know not look really sure are really sure when you think of you know the the, the fleeting amount of time in the existence of the Earth. Um, so we have got a lot of work to do. But let me just read out these two definitions. I think they're really important. So the first one is carbon neutral, which means purchasing carbon reduction credits equivalent to emissions release without the need for emissions reductions to have taken place. And then net zero means reducing emissions in line with latest climate science and balancing remaining residual emissions through carbon removal credits. So carbon removal credits offsets effectively. And so this is really interesting, I think, around this carbon neutrality piece. And um, I'd just like to quote a brilliant piece actually by Julian Echancho from um, Advito. And he and, and we can send it out to this group afterwards or you can Google it. And it was a, um, a report from The Beat, which was called Why Companies Should Stop Targeting Carbon Neutrality. Um, and he was explaining essentially that there isn't a scientific framework for, for carbon neutrality because um, you, know, you could have two companies kind of claiming neutrality, but one could do nothing to their program and off offset everything. So continue with the same 
emissions output, if you like, into the atmosphere, but offset it all. And you could say, well, I'm carbon neutral. Or you could say, I'm going to reduce the emissions in my travel program by 50% and just offset the remaining and just still carbon neutral. So you've got two very different outputs and two very different um, approaches um, in doing that. And also either we are carbon neutral as a planet or we're not. So I think we, we just need to be really careful with some of the messaging around what that means and, and trying to take more of a, a planetary view, I guess, in terms of what we want to achieve rather than um, a siloed view. Now, naturally, every effort, as I said before, is, is brilliant. And um, the more we can all make the efforts to get to net zero um, in line with the climate science, the better. But I think that's the point. We all need to be doing it in order for us all to be able to hit the end game. And I think the word is it, right? Um, and, and that's yeah. really where we're at. I mean, if, if we had all of the answers in the world, that would be a perfect environment, right? Um, yeah. We do know it's not just about offsetting. That's a start. It's something that needs to be done. Um, many of the airlines, Delta specifically, and, and others are offering SAF by corporate buy-in program so that corporations can participate in that. Um, so it's really good that the community is coming together. Um, I think the challenge really comes into, and some of the questions that came up in the survey were, how can we better report and are there any ways to combine, or is anything being done by GBTA even, on combining supplier reporting? And I'm just going to step in and kind of answer that question quickly because uh, the Georgia chapter did some homework on that. And there is a whole 2020 collaborative series that GBTA did, and a lot of it falls into those categories. But there's also, if you're attending the convention next month, the very first luncheon is sponsored by Shell Oil, actually. And there'll be a conversation specifically about active work uh, being done now. So I wanted to kind of get back to them and all of you on that. But as far as an industry coming together from air and hospitality, it's really not aligning yet. But I think the fact that some of our listeners have brought that up to us shows that we're, we're thinking, right? And we're thinking in that direction. So let's shift a little bit into the hospitality side. That's a lot of it has to do with electricity. A lot of it has to do with waste. Every major hotel brand has their, their plan, they've got a branding against it, and some of them are meeting the marks and some of them are not, but they're reporting on it. So that is really, really good. What strikes me interesting is that global tourism amounts for like 8% of carbon emissions. That's a lot, but we were saying jet fuel was only 2%, right? Tourism is 8%, and there's very little work being done or that we're hearing about when it's actually their environments and their tourism that people actually come there to see. So talk to me a little bit more about what's happening with the hospitality organizations as they approach this really enormous challenge ahead of them. Yeah, okay. Um, and I think it's fair to say, um, I mean, all of the reporting and measuring is pretty challenging, but it makes almost aviation relatively straightforward, doesn't it, when you start to move into the hospitality sector, because at least you've got some more straightforward data points. It is still going to be complex to actually get to accurate data reporting. When you start to move into the hospitality sector, yeah, it does become um, quite challenging. Um, so um, I, I'm not sure anybody's solved this uh, conundrum in the hospitality sector, but what I do see is um, businesses taking a sort of quite a wide view in terms of 
the sustainability approach um, and bringing um, some of the uh, diversity, equity and inclusion into this as well in terms of where they're going, where they're staying and how they are kind of investing into the communities in, in, in which they're staying. Um, so first of all, I just wanted to sort of share with you something that um, uh, came up on a relatively recent ITM event about a five point plan for the hospitality industry, which was one was procure green. Um, two was the carbon um, mitigation, which is again, this carbon management hierarchy that we, we've spoken about. Three was waste and water management, which is really critical and particularly um, waste management, you know, doing away with single use plastics. Four was merchandising and gifting. I think that one's quite an interesting one that, um, you know, when we think about waste and our impact through different activities, whether that's transient um, hotels or whether it's more meetings and events, I think we really need to think hard about what we're leaving behind when we finish an event. Um, and, you know, bearing in mind that there is no away, um, unless it's an organic matter, there's no away. So it might be thrown away and it might have been thrown into the right recycling box, but actually does it then get recycled, you know, can be questionable. So I think merchandising and gifting is something that, you know, people can very quickly kind of address and take out of their programs and, and gift in different ways, either digitally or um, in investing in different ways. And then this piece around diversity, equity and inclusion around sourcing venues to achieve the objectives of your DEI. Um, uh, plan and actually I was just speaking to um, one of my festive roads colleagues recently and she was talking about and she she's uh, amazing it, it's orally crown case and anybody on the the call knows her um, and she's very much known as the the digital nomad um, and she does she she um, you know lives and works um, in a in a really inspirational way and when she goes to work you know she'll spend longer periods in, in, in different parts of the world and I appreciate that's not necessarily appropriate for everybody um, but what she started doing is um, starting to sort of invest into those local communities so when she goes somewhere she might offer to either spend time in a local school or you know do share do a, a knowledge share of a certain skill that, that, that she may have so you're kind of actually giving something back to that community and also she tries to spend a bit more locally now I know that's maybe starts to sort of like tip into the tourism side but even from a corporate side we can think about you know how we are supporting the very economy as well and um, the local economy in which we're spending time in so that's a it's quite a, a broad one um i just wanted to share as well um a couple of initiatives uh, that, that the people if, if they're not aware of they could take a look at um one is well these these are both actually um from the sustainability hospitality alliance but one is the carbon hotel carbon measurement initiative and the other one is the hotel water measurement initiative and this is where properties can voluntarily sign up and start disclosing their carbon footprints. Um, and I was reading recently, actually, um, Mark Avery, the UK Global Manager for PwC, he was saying in their programme that they ask people to respond uh, whether they have or they haven't signed up to this initiative. So when certain data isn't readily available, there are other ways of encouraging your partners to um, measure or disclose uh, their environmental impact uh, to help you know that they are actually taking some action. Okay, well, that is that is awesome. Um, and I, I know that there is so much 
so much information and we put the link to that site out um, on the Georgia chapter mm -hmm. website. So that's one of the resources to do some investigations on. You know, I mean, it, it it's important that we measure it to your point and we're partnering with the companies that are focusing on this as well. You know, so, you know, it's not just a box check again in, an, in a hotel RFP. If there are things that you definitely care about that you want to monitor and you want to manage and you can report back on, that's what is important. Are they members of certain organizations? So for example, a practical opportunity here, I'm going to put you on the spot, Helen, is if you were doing a hotel RFP, what would be a question or two questions that you might put other than, do you have a sustainability program? I mean, how can you start finding, fine tuning things to make, make a difference? Yeah, so um, at our very first Cactus meeting that we held um, back in 2019 in November, we um, had a presentation from CDP, which is the Carbon Disclosure Project. Um, and they gave uh, two brilliant pieces of advice, um, which um, uh, I can share with you now. So in your RFP, um, two really simple things you can say is, um, have you signed up to science-based target? Yes or no? And a science-based target is essentially um, backed into the science of the Paris Agreement. So if a company has signed up to that, then they are aligning their carbon reduction ambitions to the Paris Agreement and therefore net zero in 2050. So that's a simple yes, no. Um, and then the other one is, um, do you disclose? So in this case, it's you disclose to, to, to CDP. And essentially, disclosing is disclosing your environmental impact in terms of the um, what your business does and the, the, the impact on the environment. Um, and in particular, there is a climate change questionnaire. And I've seen, um, I can reference Barclays, actually. I know that in their environmental, social and government, governance report, they have set a target to make sure that a percentage of their suppliers are completing the climate change um, the questionnaire as part of the CDP disclosure. Mm -hmm. And what that means is you declare um, what you're doing, so your intention, and then the actual actions in terms of what you're doing as business um, to, uh, so that people can see your impact on climate change, um, water security, and deforestation. So I know that's sort of a little bit removed from, from the travel program. If you're looking to appoint suppliers within your travel program those two questions are really important because you it you know de obviously depending on how they answer you will know how how committed they are already within their own organization in order to make a change and i think disclosure is something that's going to be more and more key because um people will expect to see that either as consumers shareholders investors to know that the business they are buying from, working with, investing in, is making the right changes. So that's pretty key. And I think there's also communication to the travelers, right? So we have chosen these partners for these reasons and really highlight the importance of sustainability that you've actually sourced a, a viable partner that's making a difference because it's important as part of the culture of your corporation, potentially. Um, corporations are moving beyond that, yes, we need to do something to all right, let's start laying out a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. And, and it's important that the travel divisions play an active part in that. So having access to that, that data, access to those numbers, it's, it starts you know, with identifying sourcing appropriately and that your partners are sourcing appropriately, sourcing locally, buying locally, um, exactly. water program, right? 
So you're absolutely right. And that, that supply chain ripple. So we, when we, if we go back to scope one, two and three emissions, and actually a lot of your emissions are going to be in that scope three, that supply chain engagement is really, really important and, and really powerful. Um, and also to your point about, you know, um, it's important to the travellers as well. I think what we're seeing is, you know, you have a top down um, uh, ambition and obligation from corporations. So they, they have to and want to set carbon emission reduction targets in order to um, hit, hit um, 2050 net zero and, and preferably before. But you've also got a huge, huge interest from that traveling population now, because I mean, personally, for me, and one of the reasons, um, you know, I uh, was one of the co-founders of Cactus is because I could see it was important within our sector, but it means a lot to me personally. And I sort of, it's not really a joke, but I, I sort of joke with people saying I do suffer from eco-anxiety, does trouble me. I can't, I find the watching the destruction of our natural environment, which is essential to balancing climate change, you know, really quite um, uncomfortable. And therefore, you know, you will have a lot of your traveling population that feel that way too. So there's, a, there's this blending really of, you know, what they want to do from a, an employee perspective, what they want to and what they have to do from an employee perspective, overlaid with their own personal concerns. And I, I think it's very difficult separate the two now. Helen, you had mentioned that, uh, you know, we had some takeaways, you know, the top three or whatever you best practice, next steps that you're leaving here today, because we're going to provide you with a ton of resources. Yes, um, cactus.earth is the website. Follow them, follow TI. What can they do when they leave this call? Okay, so first of all, I would say, um, and I'm going to condense some of these because I want to make sure I can, can, can include as many really, but first of all, in, engage with your ESG team, your environmental, social and governance team. So, you know, they will um, very likely um, be uh, taking action from a corporation perspective, but see where you can fit in from a travel management perspective. And actually, depending on the type of, um, you know, the sector that you're in, um, you know, the, the, the travel manager role can be really strategic and influential, you know, particularly where your uh, program accounts for a significant amount of carbon emissions, you know, you deserve that seat at the table. So certainly um, engage with your ESG team. Um, the piece I just mentioned um, around um, disclosure, so with CDP, so whether your partners are disclosing and whether they've got, they're setting a science-based target. Um, naturally find out if you're measuring your CO2 emissions, if not, um, start that journey. And then the other thing, which we, um, I guess, didn't really touch on um, in a way, apart from in the carbon management hierarchy around sort of like that demand generation, is actually looking at your overall travel programme. So rather than, or as well as looking at, you know, some of the specific elements around, you know, hotels or sustainable aviation fuel, if you look at your entire programme, then you can really understand the types of travel that you're doing and you know what should be going back into your program as travel starts to resume and so um, at festive road um, we've created the purposeful travel model and that's a resource that is really beneficial to help businesses understand the value of their travel through a number of different lenses and then that helps you determine what travel needs to take place and and what should stay online effectively it's kind of like a zoom versus in the room type scenario um, so um, you know, 
information exchange can very happily take place um, electronically and digitally. And then there are other functions and other meetings that may need to take place face to face. But actually making sure that you have purpose within your travel programme, that is another um, essential um, element to address so that, uh, you know, you, you can be really sure on the type of uh, travel that you're putting back into your program as we start to come back. Yeah, I really like that um, topic, purposeful travel. I mean, we're all in the business. We're all in corporate travel business. Um, and we all know that there's challenges in this industry. Yes. But um, when you think of the travel as purposeful travel, where are you going to have the highest return on investment for that travel? Is it, is it, are you able to expand and see multiple folks? All of the normal things that you would think about, but are you really asking, and you and your, your managers of all your different divisions, you know, let's talk about where we as a company are going to gain the most from and how we can make the most out of those trips and really focus on that purposeful travel so that we get the most out of it. I think I think that's really key to uh, as we all get back into the lifestyle of the travel and famous. <laughs> yeah. but, um, we actually all do really miss, but uh, there there's appropriateness that needs to be put and thoughtfulness that needs to be part of that decision. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. All right. Well, I am going to just ask: Is there any closing remarks, Helen, that you'd like to make? I think this was a really exciting discussion. I'm thrilled to have been part of it and to have had this time with you as I'm, I'm sure those on the webinar on it are as well. What, what are some of your closing thoughts and encouragement? Yeah, so um, I, I think I would just say it, it is complicated. Um, nobody has all the answers. Um, don't be afraid to ask the questions though and actually um, get involved and try and make a difference you know there are you you may find you know that that you may be really strategic and influential within your professional role or um if that's not the case you know you can still have influence within your business and then on a personal level as well there are a number of different things you can do just take action and and kind of um yeah do something we're short on time we've got a big job ahead of us um but there's you know we we need to to protect the planet for future generations to come um, and don't let the, the size of the task put you off. Right. It is urgent. And that's what's part of CACUS, right? And it's certainly part of Travel Incorporated. Um, I just wanted to have huge thanks again to the Georgia chapter for the platform for us to have this really candid, prickly discussion. From all of us here at Travel Incorporated, thank you so much, Helen, and to all of you for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Travel Incorporated or how we can assist you as you commence an active engagement to build out your sustainability travel program, visit us on our website at www.travelinc.com or follow us on our social channels. We appreciate your listening and as always, we appreciate your business.